We are in the book of Acts. Acts. Very good. We're in, the, we're in chapter 9. Hey, Acts chapter 9. Heavenly Father, as we get into this time of the Word, um, I just invite your presence. I ask that you would speak to us. God, that uh, you would um, use me to, to speak your words. In fact, God, I pray that you would speak through me, Father, and let my words be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last week, we talked about the Apostle Paul. Actually, we talked about the soon-to-be Apostle Paul in the form of Saul. This week, we're, we're continuing on a little bit, and, and we're covering the section of verses basically from verse 20 up in my my chapter headings aren't in this bible it's a different one up until 36 or actually 34 we're going to just cover uh, paul one more week then next week get into peter and going to focus in on just one little part of this this text here but what's happening in this little section of acts chapter 9 is that saul is he's been converted he's had his experience of salvation and immediately he says, as soon as he's converted, it says immediately he begins to preach the gospel, um, which is awesome. Some of you, that, that was the same thing that happened to some of you, is that as soon as you got saved, you were so excited, you began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I remember, I mean, when I, when I first came to the Lord, I was just one of these zealous idiots. No, I wasn't an idiot. I was just excited about Jesus. But I, if, you know, if it wasn't nailed down, I'd preach to it. Just was excited about what God was doing. And you just want to share your faith everywhere you go. And that's really awesome because God uses that zeal. And Paul, Saul, had that zeal. It says in verse 20, he immediately began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying that he is the son of God. For Saul, that was a horrible thing to do in the natural. He was persecuting Christians. He was, he was uh, against them. Now he's going to the exact same place that he was about to arrest the Christians and saying that the, the God that they serve, that Jesus, was actually the Son of God. He doesn't use that term very often, Son of God, but this is one of the places he does it, and it's, it's specific to this group of people. They understand what he's talking about, that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. It says, those who are hearing him continue to be amazed and were saying, is this not he, uh, he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on his name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, it says, now, now, if you've studied Saul at all or if you kind of know his story, Saul went away to Arabia for three years. And we're wondering when that happens. It happens right about here. Saul was up in Damascus. He goes into Arabia for three years to, to be with Christ. Um, and, and he has more revelations about him. And, and so right here, it doesn't seem like there's any, any time. But we believe this is when he went away at some point in these verses. And then it says in verse 23, When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. So we don't know if this was the first time that he was in Damascus, or the second time three years later. Um, when you read the, the letters in Galatians, it says that he, that he was in Arabia, that he, he didn't go to Jerusalem until much later. And so we believe that this is the time he went up to Arabia. And so this verse says, Many days elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with them. Their, their plot became known to Saul, and they were also watching the gates day and night so they might put him to death. And you think you had a bad week. 
But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. And then it, and then it changes. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with disciples, and they were all afraid of him. So this is, by the time he comes to Jerusalem, because of the writings of the other letters, he said that he hadn't gone to Jerusalem before this, this time in Arabia for three years. He, this is his first trip to Jerusalem. So it's this, about three years later that he's going into Jerusalem. And it says that the disciples, um, the apostles and the disciples, they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. So I'm just going to go a little bit further and then come back to that verse. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. We learn about Barnabas in chapter 4 of Acts um, means son of encouragement. We don't really know a whole lot about him, but this is the same guy who was just, he was a loving, faithful disciple. He must have had an inroad with the disciples. He saw what was happening with Saul. He may have had some personal information about Saul, uh, some background, and so he took Saul, now Paul, to the disciples to say he's no longer a threat. And, and then we see the, the, the beginning of the relationship that Paul builds with them. It says, verse 27, he described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, how he talked to him, how Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And so he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. Um, and then he's preaching uh, the gospel. So what, what I want to focus in here is on um, verse 26. And it says, when he'd come to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, and they were all afraid of him not believing that he was a disciple. Another version says that not believing that he was truly a disciple. And, and that, this part really stands out to me because um, what is a true disciple? What is a true believer? These, these Christians, these disciples in, in Jerusalem had reason to fear um, a false disciple getting into their ranks. They had a reason to be afraid because Paul could come in and infiltrate and remember that there is still persecution, great persecution against the, uh, the church. In fact, so much that by the first century, and I, I apologize, I was going to get uh, a fish symbol up on the screen to show, and I, I just kind of forgot about it. But you know the Christian fish? We've all seen it on cars. And does anyone know the letters that go in that in Greek? I-X-O-Y-E, which we all know stands for Jesus, right? Uh-uh. I-X-O-Y-E is very spiritual. It's pronounced ichthus. Anyone up on their Greek? Ichthus means fish. <laughs> fish. <laughs> all of you are going... I have a symbol of a fish that says fish on my car. Ichthus. Right? I, I forever thought the same thing. I thought, oh, that must be Greek for Jesus, right? I-X-O-Y-E. It's ichthus. It simply means fish. Now, there's a lot of reasons that actually the disciples use this. Now, believe it or not, you're not the first person to have a fish on your car or, or you know, on, on, as a sign for Christianity. They put them on their cars in the first century. Okay, they didn't put them on the cars. But they used the symbol of fish 
in between other Christians on the dirt. What they would do is if they were walking, there it is. See, I love David. He'll, he'll, he'll find it for me. What they would do is they would walk up, and if there was a meeting going on, or if they met somebody, they, in the sand with their foot, would draw half of the fish. Like, you know, can we start the tail and go and just draw the half? And if the other person was a believer, they would finish the fish. And that would mean that they were each a believer because, because you had to really be careful of who you were let, letting into your life as a Christian. And so, and then they began to actually come up with the, the term ichthus, and they made an acrostic of ichthus. And so, so this is also about the, the first century, maybe the early second century, that they were doing this. And the acrostic, because um, each of the letters, it's, it's um, I-X, you know, in, in English, I-X-O-Y-E, but in the Greek, the, the I is the first letter in the name Jesus, Jesus. X is, oh, by the way, this is, a, this is free and it's off of the season. X is the first word in Christ. It's Christos. Xmas trees are not Xing out God. They're Christos trees. That's where the X actually came from. Christo is the Greek word for Christ. So Jesus Christos, Theo, is the, that's Theta. Um, Theo, which means God. Yos, which means son of um, so it's son of God, Yos, uh, Soter, Savior. So, so the acrostic for Ichthus is Jesus Christu Theo Yos Soter, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. So now you have a real reason besides fish for your car. And so, um, oh, come on, do you know, look at that. Okay, stop showing off. <laughs> So, you know, um, and so I'm lost now. Take that off of there. Okay. Um, and so the, the disciples were afraid of this, this Paul because they didn't know if he was truly a believer. Now Barnabas takes him and says, you can trust Paul. He's a believer. It's really important for us to, to understand who's a believer and who's not in your fellowship. Now, this is, this is a hard thing. Church has changed. In the first couple of centuries, the church didn't have a building. They were meeting wherever they could. They were meeting in house to house. They were meeting in the temple courts. They were meeting outside. Sometimes house to house was 70, 80, 120 people meeting together like the upper room. So it wasn't small houses necessarily. They didn't rent buildings like we do. But in the church meetings, there wasn't as many unsaved people as you might find on a Sunday morning in church coming to check it out. Church wasn't a spectator event. Church was the people of God banding together to worship, to learn, to encourage one another. Today, church looks very different. We have stages. We have bands. Um, there's people who attend church because it's a social activity. Uh, people who, who go, there's churches that are called seeker-sensitive churches that are, because we know that, that people, if they're curious about God or religion, that they will attend church. And so, so it's very different. Mac, so in, in their time, they were afraid to let people into the church because they might not be a Christian. They could come and infiltrate and actually cause damage into the church, not the building, 
but into the fellowship because they could actually have some information and get them, um, you know, get them arrested and things like that. Same things happen still today in China and places where the gospel is illegal. And I, I believe it's very possible, if not likely, that in the next number of years it will be illegal to practice Christianity the way we practice it today. And it's, it's just happening. It's going that way now. It could switch back. Um, we need to be people of prayer. Even this Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is a, in a national time of prayer and fasting for the, the nation. So I encourage us all to be praying over the next three days. So it was, they were a little scared to let them into fellowship. Sh- should that be true of us? I think it needs to be true of us. Not, not uh, afraid to have a visitor come to church and worship with us. But I think it needs to be true of us that, that you know in your circle of, of um, confidence in those that you know are Christians, that you know whether people are truly saved or not. Because if, if you're just allowing anyone to speak into your life and you don't know if they're saved or not, they can actually help your faith to, to, to go astray. Now, I'm not saying you don't have friends that aren't saved. That's not what I'm saying. I want to be very clear. We can't have that uh, intimate, specifically God-centered relationship without understanding people's faith. If you just assume they're a Christian and they start teaching you, they might teach you astray. And we don't want that to happen. So, so again, I'm not talking about we're, we're going to be in the world. We're going to have friends in the world. We're going to have saved friends, unsaved friends. That's good. That's part of the life because we want to preach the gospel to them. But we d- don't just assume that the person sitting next to you is a believer, honestly. We need to get to know one another and find out if they're an authentic believer. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Marks of an authentic believer. Marks of a true believer. Uh, and this message, boy, this vexed me. I talked to a few people, had some great even conversations with my son Zach about it yesterday. What are the marks of a true believer? Um, I encourage you in, the, in your life groups this week, it's a great conversation to have. It's go much more in depth than I will this morning. Um, if you wanted to know what a true believer was, the disciples were looking at Paul and did not know if he was truly a disciple. What were they looking for? What would you be looking for? Let's change our setting. Let's say it's already illegal to be a Christian. And if somebody finds out you're a Christian, maybe you'll get arrested. So now somebody comes up and says, hey, I'm a Christian. I heard you're a Christian too. What are you looking for in their life to show that they're really saved, that they're a true believer? We don't think about that very often. I don't. You know one of the reasons we don't? We don't want to judge people. We don't want to judge people. Well, we need to know whether we're in the faith and we need to know what a, what, what a believer might look like. Now, and, and we're not doing this so that we can say, I'm better than you. That's not the reason. But let's turn it to ourselves this morning. What's the mark of a true believer? Matthew chapter 13, I've got a lot of scriptures. I'm going to mostly reference them. I'll read some because uh, I actually have some in di- some different uh, versions that I really like. But Matthew chapter 13 is the parable of the wheat and the tares. It's also the parable of the, of the, uh, the sower and the seed. I actually like to call that one the, the parable of the soil 
The first parable in, the, in Matthew chapter 13 says that a sower went out to sow seed and some falls along the, the rocky ground, some falls along the shallow soil, some falls along the path where it's quickly eaten up, and then some falls along the, uh, the good soil. And, and so he's, he, uh, Jesus is sharing this parable and he's, he's talking with the disciples and he, comes and he explains what it is that the, the w- out in the world that the word is preached and the people that hear it are different soil. The reason I like to call it the parable of the soil is that the seed stays the same and the sower stays the same. The only thing that changes in the story is the soil. What kind of soil is the word being preached to? What kind of soil is the, is the seed falling on? Um, others fall on the rocky places. And this, so this is it. As he sowed some seeds in the row, okay, let me go to the explanation here. He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 22, verse 21. No, 19. This is not my normal Bible I'm reading, so it's different. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the, the seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky place, this is the man who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary, and when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom the seed was sown in the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches chokes the word and becomes unfruitful. Finally, the one whom the seed was sown on good soil is the man who hears the word, understands it, and indeed bears fruit, and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. And so so the word of God is going out and being preached like it is this morning. And this this isn't a setting about church, this is really just in the world. The, the gospel is preached, the word is preached, and some people, they just have a hard heart. They hear it, and it doesn't penetrate. There's a lot of people that have ne- it's never penetrated, and they keep hearing it. Now, we pray for their soil, their heart, to be open to receive it. Others receive the word with joy. And I, I, you, know, you can all think of times that that was maybe you or somebody else you knew where somebody's like, seems like they're getting converted, they're all excited, and then like a day or two later, they're back in the world. You know what happened? Well, they were shallow. They were superficial, and it and, and it didn't go. Other people, um, they they hear the word and they begin to be converted, and their lives begin to change. But then, with life, with the trials of life, their walk kind of dwindles away, right? And we've seen that also. They don't last long. So 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 in this parable, we're talking about those who receive the word, and and it grows up. But, but pay attention, it says they bear fruit. They bear fruit. The next, the next parable, and we're not going to read that one, but just talk about it, talks about how they, the sower went out and he sowed good seed in his field, but at night somebody came in and also sowed weeds in the same field. And they sprouted up together, and they saw that there was weeds and wheat together. Well, weeds and, and wheat can look the same. And it's really hard to differentiate. And if you pull one up, you might pull the wheat too. So they said, let it grow up because what happens is the weeds and the wheat grow up together. What forms at the top of wheat? Grain. And the wheat gets heavy with the grain and begins to bend over. And the weeds just stand up all proud. (laughs) So you can tell the difference between good fruit because the fruit is submitted. The, the, the fruit, the wheat, is bowing down to God. And, and, and there's a lot of pride in the, in the, in the um, 
in the thorns. And so, so, so they said, so what are you going to do? This, this really is about the end times. You're going to let them grow up together. And then the angels, the, this is the parable. The angels are going to come and they're going to separate them. And the, the tares, they're going to be gathered and burned. So this is, this is a serious message that he says in the end. So people can grow up sometimes looking like they're Christians. But in the end, the difference will be fruit. And the difference will be a submitted life to Christ. Humbled, bowed down to God. What's the mark of authentic Christianity? I believe it's going to be full of, it's going to have fruit. There should be somebody, uh, there should be fruit bearing in the life of a believer. Now, now sometimes the fruit takes a while and some people have more fruit than others. Even the, in the parable it says 160 and 30 times. But the a true sign of a believer is there should be some fruit. Uh, it could be in your children. You know, if you're a believer and you have children, your children should be following the Lord. It could be in neighbors. It could be at work. There should, there'll, there'll be fruit in your life. So that's one of the things. Mark's a true believer. This was really hard because I thought, well, what, what are marks of, of uh, what, what are things that set us apart to, to help know whether somebody's in the faith? And, and we might have a problem even doing this. 2 Corinthians 13.5. I want to kind of start with this scripture about us. See, we need to say, are we in the faith? Are we, are we a true believer? Are we living like a true believer? Are we... Are we t- young in the faith? Have, are we not maturing like we should be? Second Corinthians thirteen five encourages all of us to do something, and and right here I'm going to read it. Ready? Second Corinthians thirteen five. Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you failed the test of genuine faith. Paul's writing this to the church at Corinth, to believers, to Christians, and he says, examine yourselves to make sure you're truly in the faith. There are people who go to church who do the religious activities that possibly are not truly in the faith. They, they, they have a, a, a form of godliness. Even in their heart, they, they just don't know. So the Bible actually encourages, examine yourself. So that's what this is about. This isn't about looking at your neighbor and going, yeah, after this message, I sure know he's not a Christian. No, this is about us. You know, this is one of those messages we're not going to say, boy, I sure wish so-and-so was here. They needed to hear this message. This is about us. Um, and, and, and so we want to examine ourselves. We want to say, hey, am I in the faith? How is my life stacking up? When I went through the marks of a believer, I went, man, this is dangerous. It feels so dangerous. How do you tell if somebody's a believer? And I searched the scripture, but there was one thing that stood out. I looked at a whole bunch of other messages. I listened to some other people's messages. I looked up outlines. I looked up commentaries. I really wanted to say, what, is, there a com- is there a consensus on, other, on what people say is a mark of a believer. And there was one. And only one that all of them had. Love one another. Love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. This is the one true mark that everywhere I looked said, that should mark us as Christians. Love one for another. You know, we're supposed to love everyone except the people at the Baptist church. You know, we don't have to love them. We're supposed to love everyone except Calvary Chapel. We're supposed to love everyone, believers and unbelievers. 
that should be the mark of a Christian. Now, of course, the definition of love, you go, well, does it have to be emotional and ooey-gooey? Because, you know, not everyone's kind of emotional. No. If you want to know what love is, just look up 1 Corinthians 13. But we're supposed to have love one for another. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous or envious. It's not boastful or proud. It's not selfish. It's not haughty. It's not rude. It doesn't demand its own way. Love doesn't seek its own. It does not hold grudges. It hardly even notices when others do it wrong. We need to love one another in the church and out of the church. And by the way, the church does not stop in these four little walls. The church is the universal body of Christ. We need to love one another. We need to be so marked with love that people come to you and go, how, how do you have relationship with them? How do you not treat them poorly? They treat you so poorly. And our answer is because God loved me, and so I love them. We need to be marked with love. Let me give a couple, couple passages here. 1 John 3.14 says this, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. We know that we are not going to hell anymore. We've passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Now, some of you in here are going, I'm already failing the test. I'm already failing the test. I want to I share this because God is never looking per, for perfection, but he is looking at your heart and the way you're going. What are you feeding more? Peter is a great example of a failure. I mean, Jesus hadn't even died yet, and he's denying him. Was Peter not in the faith? No. He was in the faith. He knew Jesus. He denies him three times, and Jesus knows that Peter needs to be brought back in. So he sends the message, tell all the disciples and Peter, don't forget Peter. And so we're going to fail. Years later, years later, Paul has to go and rebuke Peter. You guys remember this? Paul has to rebuke Peter because Peter's playing a hypocrite. He's hanging out with the Gentiles uh, when the Jews aren't looking. But when the Jews start looking, he stops hanging out with them. And Paul, he says, I had, to, I had to confront him, rebuke him to his face because he was a hypocrite. So was Peter not in the faith? No, he was in the faith. He fell. Anyone have a fall in the last year? Right? Oh, you know, the rest of you are liars, so raise your hand because you <laughs> fell too. You, uh, just now. Just now. Right? We've all fallen. We, we make mistakes. We're not perfect. Praise God. That doesn't mean we're not in the faith. It just means that we're human. You know, we, we want to be like Christ. And some of us go, yeah, but I mean, he was God. Can we be like Christ? Um, but, but we need to, you know, he, he, he was tempted like we are, and he can help us in our temptation. But we can also set our hearts and go, you know what, Peter, you know, he had some failures, and we can relate with that. But, but he stayed firm. I mean, he stayed firm, and he'd fall, and he'd get back up again, impetuous Peter. And, and look, at, look at the things Peter did. Look at the things that Paul did. You know what? Paul was a kook himself. I mean, remember, these people were people. They weren't perfect. They are saints, but so are you. The Bible says we're all saints. And you know, Paul, I mean, he, I, mean he, I think he had some issues. He probably had a little bit of pride. I mean, he struggled with his pride. He struggled probably with some anger. You know, I mean, he was human. Praise God, we're in good company. So we need to love one another. 
Um, that's, that's, the, that's the first and foremost. As I went and studied, I found a number of things, but I wouldn't put any of them on the level as loving one another. And, be, and that's a mark. See, when I say what is a mark, if I were to make a mark on the wall, you can see it. So there's a lot of things you can't see with people. You can see whether someone loves. You, you can't be mean to someone and say, but I love them with my heart. Love, love is action. Love is outward. And so that's a mark. There's a number of things that we might not see, but I think these are important for us. Okay, I'm going to give a couple, just a, a few things. I think a, a believer has a hunger for God and for his word. He has a hunger for God and his word. When you're in a new relationship, if it's been a long time since you've been in a new relationship, think back a long time. You wanted to get to know everything about that person. You want to learn about them, what they liked. You know, when I, when I met Shannon, I would I'd ask questions. So what were your friends like? What was your high school like? You know, I wanted to see her yearbooks. Um, I still want to go to her high school reunion. She doesn't care. She doesn't want to go. I want to go to her high school reunion more than she does. And she goes, why do you care? I says, because I want to know about you. And there was, there was 24 years of your life that I didn't know you. And I want to know about that side. She goes, well, I'm not the same person as I was. You know, and, but, but there's that thing. Remember in that new relationship you want to learn? That should be a trademark of us as believers. I want to know about God. I want to know him more. I want to spend time. When Shannon and I met, um, we, we actually saw each other, I think, every day for our entire uh, courtship and dating time, which wasn't a whole long time. And we actually, one of these really fast ones, we met on February 20th of 1995. And we got married on February 17th of 1996. So we only knew each other for a year. And, um, but we spent a lot of time during that. And, and one of the things I wanted to know um, everything about her. First Peter 2 says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. We need to crave the word of God. Believers should be looking into the word of God. That should be a mark of a believer. If, if somebody is, is newly saved and, and they're not craving, they're not looking for the word, or even if we're not newly saved, if, if we don't have a hunger for God, we need to stir something up. Um, I think this is something we struggle with in our life. Second Peter 2 says this. He's talking about Lot. It says, If he rescued Lot, a righteous man, listen to this, who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, for that righteous man, living among them day after day, was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Who's read that and skimmed over it? He was tormented in his soul about the sin going on around him. Sin has become such a part of our lives that we're not even tormented. We're far from tormented. We laugh. We watch. I'm convicted about this. that, That sin should actually bother us. I'm not saying people that are caught in a sin that we should you know be angry at them but but sin should bother us because remember sin leads to death death is bad in case you didn't know (laughs) we should be we should be bothered by sin is that a mark 
I don't know, but it's something that challenges me. Am I bothered by sin? 1 John 3, 7 says this. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil. Can we make this a little bit lighter today? I mean, these are kind of heavy. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Wait a second. I believe that I was born of God and yet I sin. What's, what's the deal here? I think the, the word we need to really focus on is continue to sin. When you come to Christ, was there a break in your sin life? What, or, or, or did it just continue? Today, are there sins that you just continue in and you go, well, God will forgive me? No. We shouldn't continue to sin. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. But we shouldn't continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. There's that love thing again. We know we shouldn't continue on in our sin. You know, if if there's something going, you, you just need to say, you know what, I'm done with this. From a calloused heart, you can remain in sin. doesn't necessarily mean you're not saved, but a, um, a believer does not continue in sin. Another thing that, that marks, and most of the people agree with this one, again, a mark of, of a true believer is obedience. Obedience. And I tell you, it's today, people want to talk about obedience. They want to talk about it in any situation because everyone should just be free to do whatever they want to. And in the church, they equate, a lot of people equate obedience with the law. You're being so legalistic. No, it's called obedience. God, God tells us how to live and we're supposed to obey. 1 John 2, 3 says this, We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. If obedience is important, let's take that verse out of the Bible. We need to obey him. A mark of a believer is someone who is obeying his commands or at least trying. You know, trying. Are we trying to obey God or are we just giving in to the devil? Really becomes who is the master of your life. I think we need to obey his commands. Something else. This is, this is a really big one. And this, this goes on to, uh, to another point. But um, confess Jesus as your Lord to others. I think a mark of a believer is somebody who confesses their faith to others. They're not afraid of the gospel. The Bible says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of peace, for it's the power of God and the salvation. Um, Romans 10 says this, if you confess your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Matthew 10, 32 says this, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. A true believer should be acknowledging, confessing their faith. Hey, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. Jesus changed my life. I don't mean they have to do it constantly, you know, just you know, bullhorn thing. But if there are people that you're in a deep relationship with that don't know that you're a Christian, you need to change that. You know, the person in the store might not know that. But if you've been going to the same checker or teller for five years and they don't even have an inkling that you're a believer, you might go, why not? Maybe I don't have enough love. Maybe God hasn't done anything in my life. I am very blessed. I'm a, I'm a blessed man. I recently got an email from a woman on uh, Pastor um, 
Rick, uh, Pastor Rick Warren. Warren, thank you. Pastor Rick Warren. I got an I got a email from a staff member of Pastor Rick Warren, and it said, get cry. I recently met your son. I could tell he was a believer. Rented a kayak from him. And they got into a conversation. And I went, wow, this woman in one meeting knew that my son Zach was a Christian. And you know what's even better? She gave me free books because of it. (laughs) No, I had to lighten it up because I was just going to cry. But what a blessing. You know, I mean, it was, it was I think, his, his attitude and his demeanor. I, I think he was probably also listening to, to, to some Caleb at the time. But, I mean, it's great conversation starters. He also met uh, a missionary family that found out he was a Christian and some people from, I mean, you know, because he's like, he's just living his life. And whether it's a T-shirt or whether it's uh, music or, and, and especially his attitude and demeanor, that should be our earmark that people might go up to us and, and go, hey, are you a Christian? Isn't that great? You go, wow, why'd you ask? Well, that, you know, we, we, we should have that and we should be willing to confess Jesus as Lord to others. That's, that's some, some earmarks of a believer. But, but these, are, these are hard. I think that the first one I'm going to still put up is we need to be marked by love. Another one, I, if I was going to put under that one, is that I think true believers live authentically. Authentically. Now, some of these go right into that. True believers live authentically. Are you one way at work, in a different way at home, in a different way at church on Sunday? You know, we're going to be, of course, we're going to be a little bit different. I mean, if you're a police officer, y- y- you know, y- you, you can't always be, you know, you can't go up to all the criminals and give them a hug. <laughs> You know, it's probably not a good idea. So I, th- I understand there's, 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 a, there's some difference, but are we authentic? Are, are, are we the same? Um, let's go to Galatians 2.11 real quick. It says, well, this is Paul writing. This is when he says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Like, huh, what? Peter was not living authentically. He, and this is good for us because Peter's a disciple. He's, a, he's an apostle. He's saved. But yet he was tempted to live unauthentically. And he gave in to the temptation. So the, the encouragement for you is that if that's been you, that's okay. Just stop it. Just stop it. If any of you have seen the Bob Newhart counseling YouTube video or, you know, you need to just stop it. You go home and watch it. We, 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 it, but, but we're in, we're, we're okay. We're, we, we haven't lost our salvation, but we need to live authentically. Go back to Second Corinthians 2.17. Let's see if this one's as weird as I thought it was too. For we are not like many, Second Corinthians 2.17, peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Sincerity. We're not like those who just are trying to make make a buck. Um, God, God help any of us who who use Christ to further a business or to further our agendas. I mean, it's 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 okay 
to put a Christian fish in your business ad, just check your heart when you do it. We're not peddling the word of God. It needs to be authentic. We need to be authentic. Okay. If you're writing down scriptures too, John 15, the whole chapter is, is really good about what does an authentic believer looks like. Basically, it means he b- abides, he remains in Christ. But so, so let's go to this. I want to kind of close up, and, and I'll try to do this quickly, which, which doesn't mean anything. <laughs> I say a few things just pay no attention to. One of them is in closing. Don't ever pay attention to that. It's not true. The other one is, is one last scripture. That's not true either. Okay. Are you challenged? You convicted? I am. I'm convicting myself. So what do we do? This is what's awesome. It's easy. Peter, what did he do after his, his denial of Christ? Well, he hid himself for a little while, but he came back to the Lord. That's what we do. We come back to the Lord. Revelation 2 says it this way, but I have this complaint against you. Jesus was writing his letter. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen period end of it no turn back to me and do the work you did at the first is that you is that me this morning just turn back to god return to your first love and just repent and 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 just return i like the, that word return to your first love james 4 8 says this draw near to god and he'll draw near to you if you're out there if if this is something that's marking your life going yeah i'm kind of in it, in the world and out of the world and sometimes i feel like i'm continuing sin and i don't know how i'm loving don't give up. Return to your first love and say, God, I, I need help. I'm going to do this. Number two, return to your first love. Number two, this is, this, is, this is a tough one. Let your earthly nature die. Let it die. Some of you need to stop giving your sinful nature, your earthly flesh, CPR. I mean, you're like running over to him. Come, come on, there's a party tonight. You got to live. <laughs> Let it die. Put it to death. That's tough. That means that there's going to be people in your life you're going to have to go, I can't hang out with you anymore. Not the way we hang out now. You're going to have to confess Jesus more often to them until they don't want to hang out with you. Remember a few weeks ago, I says, be the bummer. <laughs> Go back and listen to it. Son, you've got to be the bummer so that people stop calling you out to sin. I mean, some of you, you've got, you've got people you know when they call you go, whoo, <laughs> they want to go do something fun. Let that, see, when you came to Christ, your earthly sin nature, it died, but we, we try to resurrect it. Let them stay down. And some of us have to get even more. Colossians 3 says, put to death, kill it, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Listen in verse 7. You used to walk in these ways. Be a used to. Be a used to. You used to walk in these ways. 
in the life you once lived, but now rid yourselves of these things, anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language from your lips. Romans 8 says, if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. You can't do it on your own. You need the power of the Spirit to help put these to death. But I tell you, if you're hanging out in the same places that you used to hang out to sin, it's not going to die. You gotta, you gotta, the Bible says flee youthful lust. We have to change some things that we used to do. I appeal to you, Romans 12 says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. Picture him. Please. And that would an appeal. Please, by the mercies of God, to present yourself a living sacrifice. Sacrifices are dead. So what's a living sacrifice? alive in God, dead to the flesh, dead to the ways of the world. Holy, acceptable acceptable to God, that is spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And Ephesians goes on to clarify that that Christ might sanctify her, the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. You want your mind cleansed? Get in the word. Be somebody who reads the word and studies the word. Return to God. Let your earthly nature die and let the word of God cleanse us. We want to be, we want to, we want people to look at us and say, that's a true believer. I don't have to be afraid of them. They're not going to steer me into sin. They're not going to steer me and, and, and cause my walk to go away. They're going to cause my walk to be strong in Him. Let's pray. God, we thank You that You are the greatest example of life and godliness on this earth. Father, we thank You that You've also given us um, other, other people to look at, even Peter and Paul. God, and some of the other disciples, they weren't perfect, God, but they, they followed you and they didn't shrink away, even to the point of death. God, I pray that you would help us all, encourage us today to step over that line and say, I want to be a true, authentic Christian. I want people to be able to see Christ in my life and my Christianity. God, help us, give us the strength and courage and wisdom to put to death our sinful nature. God, call their minds to be renewed with a love for your word. God, help us to fall deeply in love with you once again. Some of, some of those in this room have drifted away from their first love. Maybe their Christianity has become rote and religious. God, I pray that you would help us to return to our love for you and our understanding of your love for us and that we just return to you and that you will forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. Do a work today in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.